Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It is our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmel, the filthy colonial who has, like the East India Trading Company, pillaged British riches, claiming it's all for the betterment of the new world. Uh, as always, however, I am joined today by the founder of Vanguard Tactics, my good friend and 40K mentor, the Benjamin Hornigold to my Edward Teach, Mr. Stephen Box. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks, mate. I don't know who Benjamin Hornigold Gold is, though. He was a, a British pirate hunter. I oh. figured if I was the if I was the pirate stealing a VT away from you, you're the pirate hunter chasing me down and keeping me keeping me honest. Okay, I like it. All right, yeah, I can get on board with that. Yeah. If you'd right, cool. like a Captain Jack Sparrow or something, I'd have been all you know, I'd have known, but yeah. Right. Anyway. How you doing, Dave? Uh I'm good. I'm good. I you know, I was uh I was all set to to uh take a week off from the podcast and uh work my day job, but then uh GW announced the 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 pre-order uh coming up this weekend uh for Codex Eldari. So obviously we gotta talk about that. We are gonna talk about Eldari. That is I'm, and I'm so excited to do this. Yeah, I, uh, uh, you know, you and I were talking before the before we started recording that uh, uh, I have a sordid history with Eldar. They were they were the bane of my existence uh, back in second and third edition when I first started playing the game. And uh, guy, I'd still have if somebody says the word Exarch, and I'll have nightmares for a week. But uh, you, you know, this is one of your favorite factions, so uh, you're I'm you're, I'm sure you're extra hyped about this book. Honestly, I can't wait. This is going to be, I've decided, the army that I try and win best in faction for this year. And and, and that's a bold claim because even just in our team, we've got uh, a couple of big Eldari players. I mean, uh, Ben Jones is is also, I think, probably eyeing that uh, target too, isn't he? Absolutely. And we've actually got uh, one of our students on the academy just won best Azurani player in the ITC. Uh, so some fierce competition, even within Vanguard Tactics. But I'm, I'm doing it. I am going to go all in on Eldari because for me, oh, it's just, I just love the aesthetic. Um, it was one of my favorite armies when I first started playing as a kid. Um, I never quite completed the army. I always had like little bits, you know, a few banshees. I think I really wanted the avatar at the time. He was a massive, massive monster. And now he's just like piddly compared to the new one that's coming out. Um, but honestly, it is absolutely fantastic. And I must say as well, m massive thank you to Games Workshop for providing us with this preview copy. Uh, I have to say that is our disclaimer in the podcast. But yeah, massive thank you to Games Workshop for sending us this preview copy and also being able to give you the sort of inside scoop, so to speak, on this codex. So Dave, what are we going to be talking about on today's show? Uh, so obviously this this is a massive book. Uh, my understanding it is just a couple pages shy of the Space Marine Codex, this is not just Azuryani, but we've got Harlequins and Inari in this book, and we're not going to be able to get through all of it today. So uh, I think we're just going to cover the Azuryani, the craft world portion of the book. Is that right? And then we're going to do the rest next week. Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, you've just been keeping up with the, you know, the releases from Games Workshop, what they've been talking about. But obviously, I've got the codex in my hand. So this is going to be a really good insight, I think, because Dave, you can just ask me openly and honestly what you think of my opinions and I can tell you about the book so I think it's gonna be a fantastic show um, but yeah we will cover Azurani or Craft World as it might be known to many of you today we're gonna be covering an overall what's in the book and then also um, on another podcast we'll dive into deep detail into the Harlequins and Yanari because 
their codexes are in here as well. Or not like, maybe not their own codex, but there's enough rules in this book to field whatever type of army you want. So there's basically three, maybe even four ways to play different armies in this book, which is going to be really, really exciting to cover today. Awesome. And uh, you've got the, like you said, you've got the preview codex in front of you. I here on the other side of the pond do not. So I'm just going to ask you uh, all of the questions that will frighten and terrify me as a non Eldari player. And uh, we'll go from there. But before we get started, uh, let's, uh, let's not forget about our sponsors. Yeah, so massive thank you to Sea Studios for providing us with the most incredibly painted models. It really is, um, you know, just an incredible service. Uh, so if you are looking to get your army commission painted by the experts, I would definitely reach out to Siege Studios. Siege, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, any uh, announcements, uh, other announcements we got to do? Well, we are going to be running a Craft World an Eldar Masterclass. So if you're interested in this free online masterclass, uh, we've done one with the Tau. Um, it was extremely successful, went down really, really well. I did that with Kyle, Kyle Grundy, the uh, top ITC player for Tau. And uh, we're going to be doing exactly the same. So we're going to go into a lot more detail on that masterclass. So if you're an interested Azurani, Harlequin, or Yanari player, then me, and hopefully if I can rope somebody else in with me to do an expert guide on that masterclass, we'll be sitting down and doing that. Um, so yeah, if you want to interested in that free masterclass, just head over to the website, www.vanguardtactics.com and uh, head to the blog page where you'll see all the show notes for all the podcasts and just click on the craft world one and you can see the link to get registered. There's going to be a giveaway. There's going to be some list reviews. So it's going to be an awesome time if you want to find out more in-depth detail and analysis into that craft world codex. Awesome. Uh, and before we get into the meat, uh, please just got to remind everybody out there, if you have not already, we ask you to like, share, subscribe, leave us a five-star review, help bump up those uh, those SEOs so we can get the word out there and really uh, communicate not just the great content that we've got, but also help spread the, the uh, our philosophies of good sportsmanship and fair play to everybody in the in the 40K community. Uh, and with that, uh, let's uh, let's get into... What is exactly in this book? Like we already mentioned there's there's Harlequins, there's Unari, there's there's the Azuryani. Um, I'm assuming we've got the full usual spate of uh, traits, relics, stratagems. So what can you expect from this book? Well, obviously we'll just cover the pages at the front, right? We'll go over the story. We'll go over some of the lore for the army, right? That's what happens here? Absolutely, for. yeah. We're yeah, and then oh, we got to hit the Crusade rules too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, um, you know, the pages are filled with just everything you can imagine from the incredible backstory to all of these awesome craft worlds. And then also some beautiful pictures that I've also been using as inspiration for painting my Elder up. And if you want to see some of my work in progress, then you can check that out over on the Instagram at Van uh, the Vanguard Tactics. I've been sharing some pictures over there. Um, so, yeah, you can also see maybe which craft world I am uh, more of a favorite of. Um, but yeah, we're going to be covering everything today that rule-wise in this codex. We're not going to be covering Crusade, but I'm sure that is absolutely fantastic if uh, you are a Crusade player. So what you get in this book is obviously a complete army-wide wall, an army-wide rule for the Azurani. Okay, so this is all the different types of craft worlds. You also get all the different warlord traits, relics, and stratagems for each of the individual craft worlds that are in this book. There's a huge amount of stratagems, and the stratagems are there for Harlequins, Yanari, 
and also Azurani. And some of the stratagems are actually shared. So it might say a Harlequin or Azurani unit can use this stratagem. So depending on what army you're playing, you can use that stratagem. Um, then there's also rules for psychic powers, for, you know, Craftworld, Azurani, Harlequins. There's Exarch upgrade power um, abilities that you can pay for to upgrade your Exarchs to really feel like awesome, cool characters. You've also then got the ability to upgrade some of your pivotal roles on your mask Harlequins. And there's different masks in this codex as well for each of the different types of ways you might want to play Harlequins. There's a Yanari section. So the army of Yanari, how that functions in the game um, and what you can access to how you build an, a Yanari army, because it's quite different because it is a blend of obviously all the Eldars coming together. And then also there's a way of actually running a patrol of Harlequins in as a sort of like an allied force as well without breaking force organization so that's kind of what you can expect and obviously then you've got army-wide rules for harlequins yanari and also the craft world um you've got for example uh, strands of fate for eldar that we're going to cover you get uh, i think it's luck of the laughing god for harlequins um so and then you've obviously got all the units all the data sheets all the weapons all the points and then obviously all the chapter approved base secondaries for Azurani slash Harlequins and also then Harlequins as well. It's a big book. Okay, so let's start with, you know, on the broadest term, what are those army-wide rules that the Azurani are going to get, the craft worlds are going to get if they're running a battle-forged force? Okay, so obviously as um, it came out in the Nackman mission pack, you can only take obviously one type of Azurani army or one type of craft world, okay, to remain battle focused, uh, sorry, battle forged. Um, and what they get is something called Strands of Fate. Okay, so here's how Strands of Fate work. This is very similar to Miracle Dice that the Adeptosaurus get access to. So what you're going to do, depending on the size of the game, so I'm going to cover Strike Force. If you're playing a Strike Force game, you're going to roll basically up to six dice okay so you roll six dice at the start of the battle round okay now because you're playing a strike force game you can keep up to four dice of those six all right so you roll six keep four now depending on the dice results that you rolled if you rolled a one you can keep an advance roll of a six so all of the results are going to count as a six okay so four of these dice are going to count as a six but obviously you roll the six and then you get to choose if you want an advance roll, a charge roll, a psychic test, a hit roll, a wound roll, or a saving throw. Okay. All right. So this, now I'm seeing why you want to play this army, because even if you roll ones, that works out for you in some, to, to some advantage. Yeah. That's just, if you just roll all ones, then you get to have four advance rolls that are going to be a six. If it's a psychic test where there's two dice, then um, you bet or or a charge roll. You just replace one of the dice. Okay. All right. Uh, and these are going to function sort of like miracle dice for sisters, where you're just going to hold them off to the side and you can use them anytime in the game. Yep. Oh, but they refresh at the start of the turn again. Oh, so if you use say first turn, you use two of those sixes to advance at the start of turn two, you'll get those two back. Um. So basically, what's going to happen is if every unit from your army is Azurani. Uh, and same craftwood, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, then at the start of the battle round, you can make a strand of fate roll. To do so, you roll the six dice, then you retain the number of those dice depending on the battle size you're playing. Okay. Oh, so if you roll four ones at the beginning, 
you're going to re-roll them at the start of every battle round. So you might not get the advances. You might roll psychic tests or to hit or something else each turn. No, I don't, I don't think that's how that works. So let's go over this one more time. <laughs> you're going to get six dice at the start of each turn, okay? Or should I say battle round? Because you still do this even if you're going second, your opponent's going before you. You still get these six dice. You roll the six dice. And depending on what, let's say you rolled a, a one or two or three or four or five and a six, just for, just for argument's sake. Okay. You can keep up to four of these results. So you might decide actually, oh, I'm really worried about my psychic tests going off. So I want to keep a psychic test result of being a six. I also want to keep a saving throw of a six and I want to hit roll in a saving throw of six. Okay. Because you rolled the right numbers to allocate those. All right. If you were to just to roll, let's say, six sixes, then you could keep four of those six dice as saving throws, okay? Because that's what a six is. A six is a saving throw. And um, then when you're playing throughout that battle round, you can use those four dice to make a saving throw of an auto six, okay? So let's say your wave serpent gets hit with a, um, a dark lance. You can go, cool, roll a six. Oh, wounded again. Oh, roll a six. You could just do it four times because that's how many uh, strands of fate dice you had to use that phase, okay? Or that that battle round, sorry. Got it. Okay. So it's just a thing you roll. It's not a start of the game thing. It's a start of the battle round thing. Yes. And if if you don't use certain of those dice during your turn, they still go away. You just re-roll entirely over at the start of every battle round. Yes, I believe so. Got it. I'm tracking now. All right. So that's strands of fate. Uh, what about battle focus? Okay, so battle focus um, is what they had before. They could basically advance and shoot without penalties, right? So now uh, you can basically still shoot if you advance. That's remain the same if you're using assault or pistol weapons. So you don't take the modification for minus one to hit with the assault weapons. And then now means you can also advance and still shoot your pistols. Um, basically as if you were remain st uh, stationary. But this is the new part. Once you've shot, okay, Unless you've either fallen back or made an advance move this turn, you can make what's called a battle focus move. So you can basically move, shoot, and move again. But your battle focus, you roll a dice, and that's how many inches you can move. So this is also, the, this portion of it is what replaces Fire and Fade from the last codex. So Fire and Fade is still in the codex oh. as a stratagem, but... Uh, because not every single unit has battle focus. This is kind of mainly your infantry-based models have your battle focus, like your aspect warriors, your guardians, your dire avengers, things like that. Okay, so it's not your your wraith lords and wraith knights are not going to be doing battle focus. No, all your vehicles, but there are ways to get it with it. different sort of abilities and upgrades. Now, here's one thing. If you do move through terrain, you're going to take three inches off the result. Okay. So even though they're infantry, they're going to, and it's not difficult ground, they're still going to get slowed down. Yeah. So we're not jumping all the way through terrain and such. Yeah. So if you moved a unit through a terrain, like a, a wall or whatever, which was line of sight blocking, you know, you might need to clear five inches in order to get through it with the minus three, because the wall might be one or two inches thick, right? Right. So it, there is a bit of a difference there. Okay. If you battle focus move, you also can't charge. And you can't battle focus if you come in from reserve because it, you know, it counts as moving. So yeah, you wouldn't be able to drop in from reserve, shoot and battle focus. 
you can't do that. Well, that makes sense. You that's that would if it wasn't that way, that would get horribly abused with people dropping in and then jumping onto objectives and such. Yeah. So that'd be an issue. So okay, let's it's okay. So it sounds like battle focus is um it provides a bit more dynamic movement. So Eldar, it's similar to Tau, are not gonna have to move out of cover, shoot, and then stand there and wait for the return volley. They're gonna be able to get back into cover. They're gonna be able to at least do something to mitigate getting shot at without it being an abusable mechanic that they're going to then use it to catapult themselves forward down the field. Yeah. It's going to just increase that mobility on the table and also just sort of represent them sort of dodging and ducking and weaving out of the way. So I think that's really, really nicely played, but sometimes it's not going to work out and you're going to be stood there out in the open. You rolled a one on your battle focus and you're like, Oh, I needed a three and I'm out in the open. I'm going to get shot. Yeah, no, it sounds, it, that sounds like a good, moderated reasonable rule so that that sounds great um uh, and this is from somebody who hates and fears the eldar uh so um all right so let's uh let's take this and narrow it down just a little bit and let's talk about the different craft worlds uh i'm sure some people are familiar with bieltan and uh some of the others but what are, are they all still there and how do they work now Okay, so that yeah, there are different craft worlds and all the big names are there. You've got Ulthway, you've got Alatok, you've got Beltan, you've got Ilandon, Iandon, um, you've got Samhain. Um, so they're all here, all the big names. And then there's also custom craft worlds as well, where you can pick like one or two traits that you want to continue with for the rest of obviously, you know, all free army to have. If, however, you go for one of the named ones like Ulthway, then you're also going to pick up basically two to three bullet points of rules okay for your army um that's going to separate its play style off amongst all the others you're also going to then have access to a warlord trait that's specifically for your craft world you're also then going to have a relic and also a stratagem okay all right uh so uh, as i recall ulthway is sort of the uh the ultramarines the the poster children for the uh eldari because uh you know they've got um Eldrad. Eldrad. They've got Eldrad. So what's uh, what's what's uh, what's special about Ulthway? Okay, so Ulthway, they're obviously really renowned for their psychic ability. So this is kind of where they really come into their own. So you can re-roll. Every time you're selected to shoot or fight, you can re-roll a wound roll, okay? Which is all right. Quite nice. Um, when you cast a psychic test, uh, you get plus one to the result. So plus one to cast. You also get a six plus invulnerable save. And there's another one. So this army gets four bullet points of rules. I've never seen anything like it. They also get a five plus fill no pain against mortal wounds. That is, yeah, it's just from mortal wounds. Yeah. In any okay. phase of the game, just five plus save against mortal wounds. All right. Uh, and what about, uh, what's next? Uh, Bieltan? Yeah. Should we go for the wall or trait and relic and strap first before we move on? Oh, sure. Yeah. That, that way we won't, uh, we won't go back and forth then. So yeah. the Warlord trait for Ulthway, um, again, still keeping in this sort of psychic theme. Uh, every time you make a Strand of Thate roll, which is what we spoke about earlier, if the Warlord's on the battlefield, you can retain one additional dice. So you can retain up to five dice now rather than four. So you're guaranteed another six on whether it's an advance, a charge, a psychic test, or whatever you roll. So that's really strong. Really good Warlord trait. Uh, their Relic, also very good on a Psyker. Um, you know additional power. Always good. And then um, that's from the Runes of Fortune discipline. And also every time you take a test on a, on a nine plus, then you cannot be denied. So again, because it's a psychic test, you could do that for a psychic action as well. So very, very strong. All right. 
Their stratagem, a little bit lackluster. One CP, but it is very sort of thematic with all the way that rely on a lot of their guardians to do a lot of the heavy, uh, like martial lifting or work, as it were. So um, basically, guardian units, every time you're selected to shoot or fight, you can get plus one to the hit roll. So it's okay, but again, quite situational because it's only on those units. And they're not exactly, I would say, the most powerful units in the book. Yeah, they're uh, given the the amount of aspect warriors and everything else you're going to have, guardians are probably not going to get the first look. Yeah, they're just not, for me, they're not as exciting as, I mean, the new sculpts are beautiful, by the way, but in terms of its actual, um, their rules, it's not quite as exciting for me as uh, aspect warriors, for example. So up next, we've got a Latok. Okay, and a Latok, if you're, if you're hitting me with a ranged attack more than 12 away, I'm going to get light cover, all right? Now that's anything. However, if you're shooting an infantry or biker unit, which is mine, and I'm within a terrain feature, I'm also going to get dense cover now as well. So I get light cover from 12 inches away on everything, and now I'm also going to get dense cover if I'm an infantry or biker, and also within light cover already. So it kind of stacks. Um, and then also you can ignore all move characteristics for infantry, okay? Which is quite nice. Yeah. That also that it's, that's also going to lean really well into a, into an infantry focused force yeah absolutely their warlord trait is called master of ambush um and uh basically in your command phase you can select an infantry unit and at the end of the turn if it's performing an action um it can still make attacks and not fail um and at the start of the third battle round before you begin you can select one other friendly latok range on the unit and remove from the battlefield and set it anywhere more than nine inches away so you can basically redeploy one of your ranger units and that's the thing with the latok they're very ranger heavy in terms of their rules their relic, it's quite, it's all right. Uh, basically, while you're receiving the benefits of cover, it cannot be selected as a target unless you're the closest eligible unit and within 12 inches. So you've kind of got an untargetable character. Okay. Then for one CP, this is really good. Uh, quite, quite interesting, I would say. Um, you use this stratagem in your opponent's movement phase. So after an enemy unit has been set up on the battlefield, one unit of a Latok Rangers that is not on the battlefield, sorry, it, it, it actually says if it's either on the battlefield or in strategic reserve, um, if it's in strategic reserves, it can set up anywhere on the battlefield within 18 inches of that enemy unit and more than nine inches away. Um, and at the end of the phase, that Ranger unit can shoot as if it was your shooting phase, but they can only target the enemy unit that's set up. So if you're already on the battlefield, you can shoot the unit that came down and if you're not on the battlefield, you can deep strike in nine inches away and then shoot. Nice. That's uh, that's actually similar to the uh, the Necron snipers yeah. uh, coming out of their their warp way. That's that's a that's a nice trick. That's that's one step better than Auspex scan for sure. Just shooting somebody that happens to show up within range. Now so. the Eldar have also got a stratagem called Forewarned, where you can shoot an enemy unit that came in from reserve. Even better. So deep striking and and trying to sneak up on them is going to be Rather the challenge. You're going to get literally double shot. Anyway. All right. So that's, that's a Latok. What's next? My favorite. It's the Beltan. So their attribute is called Swordwind. Already I love it. So I get a rerun. And by the way, no one else is allowed to play Beltan. They're just for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Each time you make a hit roll, you can reroll the result. Okay. So reroll hit. Every time you shoot or fight, pretty good. But then here's the nice bit. 
every time you use battle focus or you advance, it's always a minimum of a three. Yes, that does seem to lean into the Steven Box style of play. Well, I'm renowned for rolling ones, so at least I get a three inch advance. Yes. Well, and we and and well, you also tend to favor a very aggressive play style too. So that mitigating that that one adv- that uh, advance roll for yourself and getting yourself down the field is that yeah. I can understand why you're leaning that way. So what's their uh, what's their warlord trait? It's called natural leader. Again, what a great name. Um, so basically, I make my um, you know autark or whoever I'm going to put this on. They become a chapter master, so I can pick a unit in the command phase, reroll hits. Nice. Real good. Obviously, that's a Beltan core unit. All right. And most of these, you know, command things are pick a core unit. Their relic, again, is beautiful. It's a Beltan psyker only. You know an additional power from your chosen discipline. And once per phase, you can reroll the psychic test. Okay. That's, that's good. uh yeah, that's good. Uh it, now before we get on to the stratagem, are the Eldar are known for their psychic abilities? I know there's multiple disciplines, which we'll talk about, but is this are you personally, or do you foresee a lot of people playing multiple psychers, or is that something that may not get favored in, in the face of Grey Knights and Thousand Sons? I, I mean, I still think you're going to take maybe two two to three psychers in an Eldar list. Okay. You might have one or two farces, one or two warlocks, depending on, you know, your preference. In Obviously, you know, I don't think you can run Eldar without those sort of classic psychic powers, because they are just so strong for the army. Right, I, running a list without Doom and Guide and some of those other long-standing yeah. staples of Eldar is, uh, I think, would be unheard of. Yeah. Absolutely. So, all right. So, what is the what is the uh, box tan or excuse me, BL tan uh, craft world stratagem? I like it, box tan. We're gonna that's that's it from now on the box tan army. Okay. Yep. So, um, basically, every time you shoot or fight, you get exploding sixes on your aspect warriors, on your box tan aspect warriors. Anytime you shoot or fight. So in the fighting phase, striking scorpions, howling banshees, they're going to be laying waste with exploding sixes. Yep. Or dark reapers, fire dragons, warp spiders. Going to need therapy after this podcast. Uh, Is this a one CP strat or two? Just the one. Just the one CP actually. Lord have mercy. All right, moving on. What's, uh, What's the next craft world? Okay, Ilanda. And I actually really like this one as well. I was real torn. This is good. Um, because I, I had a bit of a stint when I was kind of, uh, this is back in eighth edition, had a bit of a phase with Wraith Blades. I was like, there's something in this book about Wraith Blades that I'm loving. So anyway, Wraith Blades are back on the menu. So let me tell you what they get. Now, the first one isn't great. I'm going to, the first bullet point, it's not my favorite. Basically, every time you make a combat attrition test, um, you add one to the, the test result. Okay. So if you're below half strength, when you fail morale, uh, the combat attrition test, normally it'd be a one or a two, right? But then you'd remove a model. Um, right. But obviously if you roll a two, it becomes a three and you're fine. So it's only ones you're going to lose models. Now, this All is right. the next bit though. This is what I real like, especially at the meta with Tau at the moment. Every time you hit with an armor penetration of minus one or minus two, worsen the effect by one. Okay, so minus two becomes minus one, minus one becomes zero. Yeah. All right. Good, right? It's, and... Uh, yeah, that's good. I mean, uh, the Wraith Blades have an innate, is it a three up save? Yep. Yeah. So that's make, make getting rid of neg two and bumping it down to neg one is going to make a significant difference. And obviously, because they're infantry, you can get light cover easily. There's powers to get light cover. Uh, you can also get plus one to your armor save as well. So you could be on a two up in light cover, minusing, you know, one or two. So you're pretty durable. 
Yeah. All right. So that, yeah. yeah, that plays well into the the Wraith. Now, is that going to work on this? Is on Wraith Blades, Wraith Lords. Well, this is going to work on your entire army. Oh, okay. But obviously, this is kind of really where they come into their own for the next few yeah. elements, which I'm going to talk about. So, Warlord trait, basically a five plus feel no pain on your Warlord. Eh, meh. It's it's, it's okay, right? Um, I, I never think with the Eldar Warlords, you, you you need to build in too much reliability, you know, sort of resilience because they are um, sort of a one in done, as it were. Um, the relics, this is what I really like. So basically in your command phase, you can select one other friendly spirit host unit within nine of the bearer. And until the start of the next phase, you get plus one attack. And if you're a Wraith Guard unit, so the guys with the guns, they gain battle focus. Okay. All, All right. right. Because they don't have battle focus normally. So plus one attack, really strong. And then the stratagem, one CP, you basically shoot in an all fight phase. You can pick a spirit seer from your army. So the, so the guy that, you know, helps all the wraiths, the spirit seer model, the, uh, the psyker, um, and, a, and a friendly spirit host unit. So this could be anyone. All right. You can then, by the end of the phase, the spirit host unit is considered to be within range of the spirit seer model's spirit mark ability. And the spirit mark ability, I believe, is reroll ones to wound. Yes, it is. So that's on friendly core units. So that's not going to work on your Wraith. Um, oh, I don't know if Wraith Lords have the core keyword, actually. That's probably worth checking. Um, but the... Yeah, Wraith Lords do have the core keyword, so it would work on them. Um, obviously, your Wraith Knights probably don't have the core keyword. If they do, that would be absolutely unbelievable. But yeah, your Wraith Blades, no matter where this guy's on the table, they're going to be getting reroll ones to wound. Okay. Uh, and the, the Wraith Knights are going to be uh, super heavy, but yeah, um, Wraith Lords, as the Eldari answer to the Dreadnought, it would make sense that they have core too. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah. And you mentioned the the spirit stone keyword. Is that or spirit host? What was that keyword? Spirit host. That's going to be all of your wraith units, yeah. your wraith knights, your wraith lords. Your, okay, got it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. Next one is Samhain. Same the bikers. Same hand, maybe. Same, yeah, I, I, everyone always wants to say Samhain, but that's Halloween. So, uh, in, in, at least in Ireland, so it's same same Han, right? I think it's same Han. Same Han. Okay, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. You can re-roll charges with units. Um, and you can charge in a turn in which you fell back. And same Han is leaning into a lot of the, the jet bikes. So that's that, uh, that the ability to fall back like that is, I mean, it's great with banshees. It's awesome with striking scorpions. It's going to be great with, um, shining spears. Yeah. It's going to be even great with wraith blades, right? Cause then they're not getting caught in combat. That was always the problem with wraith blades is they're real durable, but they can get bogged down quite easily. Now they can just fall back and charge again. All right. So that's real strong. Uh, so what's the uh, what's the Warlord trait? Heroically intervene six inches and plus one attack, which is really good. Yeah. Get this on a guy on a bike. Heroically intervene six inches is massive. Um, or, um, you know, one of the fancier Autarchs. Now, I will say this right now. The the Phoenix Lords cannot take relics or Warlord traits, okay? Nor can the Oh, Avatar. yeah, that would make sense. Name, named characters usually don't get to customize them too much. Yeah, but you you can't even you don't even get one. You cannot. Right. Yeah, you cannot take a warlord trait for Phoenix Lords. Okay, uh, but I'm sure they have enough uh, baked in rules to to offset that. They got a couple, yeah. So yeah, I'm sure <laughs> we'll come to those later because I think 
me picking my favorite Phoenix Lord's going to be tough. Right, next up, we've got the Relic, the Talisman of the Tyon Char. Sam um, Sam Hain, whatever. Um, Model only, obviously. Each time you make a melee attack, okay, or if you made a charge or heroically intervened, um, sorry, if you made, um, you improve the strength and damage characteristics and improve the AP by one. Okay. So you become a flat damage three monster, which is probably heroically intervening six inches if you took the warlord trait as well. Yeah, stacking those two together and putting them on a shining somebody on a shining sphere bike. Yeah, uh, and there's a relic bike in this book too, isn't there? There is a relic bike in this book, and we'll come on to that. It's one of my faves. Awesome. All right. So, uh, what's the uh, what's the we'll, we'll just call them the Halloween uh, bikers, the Halloween biker uh, stratagem. Well, if you're a Halloween biker, then um, you get advance and charge. Uh, okay. But only bikers, though. No, you can't do this with wraith blades or anything else. It is a biker unit. So you're gonna definitely if you're if you're playing uh same Han, you're definitely gonna want those to lean into shining spears and yeah. bike type units. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh any other craft worlds? I think we're missing one. Uh no, that's all of them. No, that's it. And then we and then you would just have the usual spate of uh Customs. custom custom craft worlds and stuff, which we won't spend the time to go through today. Y'all will just have to buy the codex and do your homework. Or if you're on the Vanguard Tactics Academy, we'll be reviewing it. Or um, a little more detail. Yep, do that or and sign up for that workshop. Yeah, absolutely. So the the next craft, or I'm going to call it like quasi craft world, because is Yanari, because they are essentially a they get all of like you would expect with a craft world. You get a warlord trait, you get a relic, a stratagem, and also um, some rules. There's a different battleforged way of doing it, but Yanari count is as Yurani. So even if you're including like Drakari units or Harlequin units as part of your Eldar army as a Yanari force, you are counted as as Yurani. So instead of getting powers of pain or um, luck of the laughing god that Harlequins would get, you would gain strands of fate. Okay, and okay. are they? Are they still going to get battle focus too, or is that? So battle focus is queued to a unit. So for example, uh, guardians would have battle focus because it's on their data sheet. Yeah. Got it. It's a data sheet based thing. Okay. Yeah. But we'll All cover right, that it. in detail, obviously next week. Right. Uh, let's talk about, uh, you want to talk about the, the, the generic, uh, warlord traits now? Yeah. Probably good, a good segment there to go into that. Um, so yeah, some of, I mean, obviously you can, like we've already spoke about, there's already one for each, and then there's six other generic ones that you can pick from. Um, obviously, some of the named characters already have them, um, but yeah, there's six to choose from, as you would expect. Um, I, I mean, we could probably get, we could go over all of these, but I'll pick up my top three. One of them is you gain CPs back on a six, but this is every time you or your opponent spends a command point. So over the course of the game, if you if you think that probably most people start the game with around nine, I would say averagely. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Eight or nine seems it seems to be the average. And then you've got obviously five battle rounds you're going to get CPs for. So yep. you're looking at 13 for both players. That's 26. So there's 26 chances of rolling a six. So even if you spend a CP to unlock this Warlord trait, it's probably worth it. You should net at least two to three CP backs over the course of the game. Theoretically, unless you're me, when my Deathwatch army used the Ultramarine Warlord oh, trait yeah. to do that, and I did not get, I think in, in all of LVO and all six games I played at LVO, I think I got back three CP. <laughs> hey, you take them, right? Luck of the draw. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, again, it's probably a, a good standout there. And this is my other one. Fate's Messenger. 
It's another good name. Once per turn, when a saving throw is failed for your warlord, you can reduce the damage to zero. Oh, isn't that nice? And this, this is paired really, really well with a relic that I like. So, um, yeah, we were playing the other day, um, myself and Michael, to get ready for the battle report. And that we're going to be releasing. And um, yeah, basically, I was just like, he was trying to kill my warlord. I was like, yeah, cool. Um, I had four saves in the bank, four saving throws. So I went, right, four saves automatically saved because I had the the strands of fate. Mm. And then one went through, failed it, changed it to zero. Um, and my guy had literally one wound left, but I needed to keep him alive. It was real important. And then the stratagem, the phoenix gem, is when he's destroyed, he can stand back up. On a two plus. Okay. So he finally killed him. And I was like, cool, stand back up. That was in the, <laughs> that was in the so that was in the turn after. Because I survived enough on strands of fate in that wall of trait next turn. I died. Oh, standing back up. Now it's my turn. Cool. Here we go again. So the next time you guys watch a battle report and you see part of uh, Michael's ponytails turn gray, you now know yep. why. Yeah, that's it. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's just a really cool little combination there to have a, an autark that's just indestructible. Yeah, to, and and normally we don't think of Eldar as being super resilient, so being able to tank some wounds like that is very it's beneficial. It is, yeah. Um, okay, cool. So should we go with some relics? Yeah, yeah, let's do some relics. Okay, so some top relics for me. I've already spoke about it. The Phoenix Gem on a 2+, plus. you stand back up with D3 wounds remaining. That's once per game only. Um, use, you've also got the Sunstorm Bike, Okay. Uh, you've got a move characteristic of 20, which means when you advance, you're going to advance six inches. So you're going up to 26 inches in a turn. Um, but you also the bearer also gains objective secured as well. Wow. This is for a biker model only. So you've got this maybe Autoc on bike or Warlock on bike buzzing around, giving obsec where he needs it at 26 inch movement. That's yeah, that's pretty fantastic. So does he does he give obsec or he himself has the obsec? He has it. So as long as he's on an objective with right. some other dudes like Dire Avengers or whatever, um, or Banshees, then he's going to, you know, you're going to obsec the objective and then hopefully have more models. But it's a great way of just flipping the primary. Yeah. Yes. But and with the 26 inch move, goodness gracious. All right. What else? Another one called the Weeping Stones. If you're on the battlefield, um, when you make that Strand of Fate roll at the start of the game, you can roll one additional dice. So you'd roll seven dice and maintain four or roll seven and maintain five if you're obviously all the way and you've got the other cool stuff we spoke about earlier. Right. All right. And then my favorite relic, uh, which I put on to my Farseer, and this is actually one of my top combos, but we'll cover what the relic is now. Um, I need a name for this Farseer, but anyway. Uh, he basically gets fly keyword, moves 12 inches, um, and at the end of your movement phase, you select enemy unit you moved across. On a 2+, plus, you you do D3 mortal wounds. Ah, all right. That's uh, the, the Tau have one similar to that. That's uh, one of their uh, prototype systems does something like that. Yeah. I'm going to be interested to hear what the combo is because on its face, D3 mortal wounds sounds nice, but is it something you really want to spend a, your relic slot on? But I suspect there's something else behind this that behind that you're, you're the devious mind of Steven Box that's going to make this. All right, we'll cover it. We'll cover it now. So obviously- Go for it. Um, Farseer, you move 12 inches, land where you want, go over a unit, and you can select any unit. So it could be a character. Right. You then can smite said character if you were the closest for another D3. And then, you know, potentially you could executioner another unit as well. An executioner would be a D3 
wound, uh, D3 mortal wounds. And if you killed a model, another D3. So if you went over a unit, you could do uh, D3 in the movement phase, D3 from a smite, and then two D3 as well in the, in the psychic phase. So you're putting out on average four D3 mortal wounds on a unit a turn. So you're looking to pick up a fully healthy space marine captain or something yeah. significant. The executioner wouldn't trigger again. Um, and I'm not even actually sure you can pick executioner on a character, but um, the, yeah, either way, you've got some versatility there where you put out this on average eight mortal wounds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now stacking it up like that on a farseer makes that's, see, I knew there was something that was going to be there besides D3 mortal wounds on its own is, it's yeah. nice. It's nothing to sneeze at, but it's not something to, to really focus on. But when you stack it like that, now you're, you're talking about somebody putting eight, you know, before the, you've even gotten, before you even gotten to the shooting phase, you've done eight mortal wounds on, you know, an average of eight mortal wounds on a unit yeah. that could really flip it. That could help you flip an objective. Yeah. Yeah. And it just says right. at the end of the movement phase. So, you, you know, you could fall back out of combat and do D3 mortal wounds potentially if you wanted, you wouldn't be able to cast psychic powers, but um, you know, it just gives you a little bit more versatility to that character. Um, and if they were able to, um, there might even be a stratagem in here to cast additional power. There used to be, hopefully there still is, um, a stratagem in the book to be able to do that. So you could combine that with doom as well. So this guy's just putting out three powers, um, and just doing just a huge amount of work himself along with them providing huge buffs like doom to the army. All right. All right, so uh, every codex that's come out in the ninth edition has some way to buff or specialize or tweak certain units. The Space Marines have their uh, chapter master and chief apothecary and chief uh, librarian and those sorts of things. Um, the Tau certainly have their prototype systems. What do the other got? Well, we get Exarch powers. So your Aspect Warriors, you can upgrade your Sergeant or your Exarch, to have an Exarch power, okay? Now, I would also say there's a stratagem in the book that allows you to, depending on the size of the force, give relics to your Aspect Warriors as well. But those relics aren't the ones I've just read out. They're a little bit more niche to those units, and they're just like a little bit better than the regular weapon. So rather than it may, maybe be an AP2, it's AP3. It's just like a slight upgrade. I don't think I'll be spending the CPs on it personally, but I think for a little bit extra flavor in the book, that's an option. Okay, so there's a page of relics just for Aspect Warriors. Now, when it comes to the powers, though, these are the things that you pay points for. If you upgrade one of your Exarchs, depending on the type that you are, basically if you're, you know, shooty, a shooty type one, you're going to get plus one ballistic skill. You also get plus one wound as well. So if you're a Crimson Hunter, the plane, or Dark Reaper, Swooping Hawk, Fire Dragon, you, you hit on twos. Um, you get that BS2 and that extra wound. And if you're a combat unit, i.e. Striking Scorpions, Howling Banshees, Shining Spears, or Warp Spiders, you get plus one attack instead of the plus one ballistic skill. Okay. So the, and the Exarchs are going to function as, are those going to be elite choices or are they going to be more like a sergeant model in a squad? They're a sergeant model in a squad. Okay. And then right. each each of these, so once you've, you've paid the points, you get that, the buff, straight away. But then you also get another ability, and there's one of three to pick from, and each are appointed appropriately, depending on how powerful they are. Once you've taken an Exarch power, you can't take that same one again, okay? So if you had, for example, three Crimson Hunters, you could take, I mean, you can't because you can only take two Flyers, but 
um, that was a really bad example. Uh, let's say you had three units of swooping hawks and you wanted to upgrade every single unit to have an Exarch inside with an Exarch power. You couldn't pick the same Exarch power. They've all got to be different. Okay? Okay. Right. So I'm not going to go over them all, but they are quite interesting. And I think there's some really cool different little combos in here. Like you can give your Dire Avengers objective secured. And if you've already got objective secured, you count as double the amount of models, for example. You can give your Banshees a four plus and vulnerable save for the unit. Um, Strike and Scorpions, they've got a really cool one we'll cover later. Um, you know, for example, Shining Spears, every time the, some are for the Exarch model and sometimes they apply to the unit as well. So it really does depend. Uh, but basically with the Shining Spears, if, you, if you've got this model, then the unit can make and consolidate move up to six rather than three. Or as another one, which means on a five plus, with, just for the Exarch model alone, you do a mortal wound in addition to damage. Okay? Okay. So again, it really depends on what you've gone for. I will cover some later in my top combos, because uh, I want to talk about a Fire Dragon one, I want to talk about Strike and Scorpion ones, and I don't want to um, ruin it just yet. Quite strong little powers, but they do start to make these units very expensive. And that is one thing I would say about the book. The, these combinations are very, very powerful, but you don't get a lot for your points. The units really are expensive. Okay. All right. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about psychic powers. Okay. So some big, big changes for these powers. Um, now it's your warlocks, your spirit seers, and your farces that get access to these powers. There are three different trees. Uh, there's actually five different psychic trees in this book. One for harlequins, one for yanari, and then one for warlocks, one for you know, basically your farces. And then you've got also the runes of fortune as well. So I'll go over the big changes. Jinx is a big one. Jinx used to be you select an enemy unit and you reduce the saving throw by one. So whether that was an invulnerable or normal save, it reduced it by one. So if you had a four plus invun, you're on a five plus. This time, select one enemy unit with 18, worsen the save characteristic by one. An invulnerable save is not a save characteristic, so therefore it would only affect the armor save of the unit, okay? All right. Protect used to also bump up your invulnerable save. It no longer does that because it only bumps up your save characteristic. Quicken the double move. You can no longer double move in charge. Uh, which is reasonable. Yeah, you can no longer double move in charge. You can just double move and that's it. Um, and that's pretty much, I would say, the most significant changes. A lot of the others um, are still the same as you would probably expect. Um, they've still got the double, so although you pick that power, you can still uh, use Jinx or Protect. It's still either or. So they're still very, very useful. Okay. Um, a lot of these now are restricted as well to be Azurani core units or, for example, core and character units as well. So you can't just, for example, Doom um, wouldn't affect... Uh, so if you put Doom, which is reroll wounds on a unit, it would the Wraith Knight wouldn't get any benefits from it. Okay. It's not gonna you're not gonna stick it on a um fire prism or a one yeah. of the vehicles. Yeah, so if the okay. fire prisms were shooting a unit you doom, they wouldn't get the reroll wounds. Okay. Uh guide is the same, doom's the same, fortune's the same. Uh obviously with these few uh um examples. Executioner, yeah, you cannot select a character unit. Okay. So as I mentioned earlier, you could fly over a, a character and do the mortal wounds and smite him, but then if you want this execution, it'd have to be just a regular unit. Uh, Will of Azurani is good. Um, really like that. 
the unit gains objective secured and you don't take morale and uh, you can still do actions and still shoot. So it's quite a nice little buffing buffing option there. Yeah, that is a good one. Um, so on the whole, pretty good, I would say. What you would expect with a few tweaks, just some of the more broken powers toned down a little bit because obviously the power's in the rest of the book. Okay. Uh, all right, so the as ubiquitous and and uh, uh, you know as as bolt weapons are for space marines, Eldar are known for their shuriken weapons. Yes. What's the deal with the shuriken weapons now? Okay, so shuriken weapons, very much like it was in the old book. Every time you roll a six, improve the AP by two. Used to be AP by three, but you'll see why it's now two. So basically, roll a six to wound on an unmodified roll of a six. You know, add two to the AP. Okay. Uh, and, uh, let's see what, oh, Phoenix Lords. We talked a little bit about Phoenix Lords. I don't want to skip over that before we get into the actual data sheets. What's, what's, uh, what's special give me, about give me some Phoenix Lord info. Yep. Right. So they're all roughly six wounds. I think actually, I think they all are six wounds. Um, but you can only take three wounds a phase. All right. So, and they also give plus two leadership to friendly aspect or their aspect warrior unit their chosen one as it were is an aura and also that aspect unit warrior gains objective secured now obviously the phoenix lords also have that same keyword so therefore they also are objective secured themselves oh, okay all right so the um jane's R is gonna get objective secured with harlequins Manchies. or with uh with telling matches and yeah yeah okay and the limit to three wounds of phase is, um, turns them into mini Catan shards. Yeah. All right. And there's a nice little one CP strat. You can stand them back up if you roll a four or more. Oh, so they're going to keep coming back. Yeah. Is, I believe you can only tell me that's limited once a game. I think it's limited once per Phoenix Lord. Oh, okay. Well, that's something, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Is my left eye twitching yet. Can you see on the video? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, all right. So, um, Obviously, we don't have time to, uh, you know, we're already coming up on an hour. We don't have time to do all the data sheets. Give me your top two HQ units. I mean, the Avatar is just, look at him. What an absolute monster. And he's a beast. He really it's is. It's a gorgeous model. Just gorgeous. So I can't go on without talking about the Avatar. Obviously, I think most of his rules have been shown by uh, Games Workshop anyway. He's awesome. I definitely need to get one on the table. But really... Um, he's not going to make my just my my go to list to begin with. No, he's 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 not going to be making the uh, the box tan. No, uh, uh, no. He's, I don't think he is. Not at the moment, anyway. But we'll see. I'd love to be proved wrong. My fast here. I, go on. Uh, yeah, quick question about the avatar. Is he? I'm assuming he has some rule that is not. He won't break uh, battle forged if he's selected as a part well, of he, a of a battalion. He actually gains a craft world rule. Really? He does gain a Crawford. So if he's, for example, Elandon, he would be minusing AP by minus one and minus two, but he's 14 wounds. He does half all damage and have a four plus and vulnerable save with a two plus save. But um, I don't know. Could be interesting. I think with Elandon, it could be nice, yeah. Or he could be full back in charging if he's a, you know, Halloween. Yep. So there's some cool things in there. But Farseer, we spoke about him earlier. Um, if you're a farseer, you never suffer perils of the warp. 
They've lost their re-roll psychic tests, which they used to know or which they used to do, so they can't re-roll their powers anymore. But at the start of each battle round, after making a strand of fate roll, um, before you retain the dice for each farsim model that is on the battlefield and not with an engagement range, you can re-roll one of the dice of those strands of fate rolls. All right. That's uh, definitely going to want to lean into having at least two, two yeah. farseers then. Yeah, I've got one in my list, but I think just having that, oh, I really need a, an auto charge of six. You know, you could, maybe you're coming in from deep strike or something. You want that six result. Yeah, you're just going to pick up whatever result you don't want and re-roll it ready for the turn. All right. So then we've got the, the Autark, right? There's two different types of builds. It's quite interesting how it's worded, but basically um, you can take a Howling Banshee Mask, and the Banshee Mask is incredible. If you make a charge, your opponent can't overwatch you, and also they're not eligible to fight until all other you. So it's a fight last if you declare them as a charge. So you can equip some things and not others. So you can't take a Banshee Mask and also wings, but you can take a Banshee Mask and a Warp Jump Generator. I think it's because of the model, basically how it comes. So you can give a Warp Spider Jump generator and a howling banshee mask to an autark yeah and you can give it like a i don't know some sort of weapon like a fusion gun or reaper launcher but this guy's going to give you reroll hits of one or girl because it's multi-gender now uh, the kit is literally beautiful four plus and will save five attacks in combat it's got really good um i just reckon the regular spear is quite good the star glaive strength six minus three two damage and you can use the cp reroll stratagem twice per turn instead of once quite nice very nice. So they're, they're my top two. And then I think you just throw in a Phoenix Lord for extra flavor, depending on which way you go. I really like Baharoth. I think he's really going to be underrated. I think for his ability is awesome. Every time he consolidates, you can just pick him up off the table and set him up anywhere nine inches away from your opponents. You can, and you can do this in battle focus as well, but that's just sweeping Hawks. Generally, you can go in, fight, and before you, you know, consolidate, just, yeah, mosey off. Uh, off the table. All right. Uh, I have to ask at this point, there's no vortex grenade in this codex, right? Oh, there's a stratagem. Yeah. Similar to the vortex grenade. And it's called Eldritch Storm. It's three CPs. If you've got a faster on the table, you can do a psychic action and and you do this in your command phase. Uh, But when you come to your psychic phase, you can add one to the result for every sort of faster that you choose to do that with. Um, you pick a point on the battlefield, everything within a certain radius takes, you know, I think it's D3 mortal wounds and that happens in your shooting phase or something, or at the end of the psychic phase, you basically pick a point and go, right, all this stuff dead. Lovely. I, I, yeah, my, my earliest recollections of Exarchs were the Exarch with a, uh, warp jump generator and the old vortex grenade, uh, war gear item from second edition and uh my my good friend back then who it's amazing we're still friends uh would jump generator and vortex grenade and there would go a tank and a unit and uh, everything yeah. else yeah terrible all right thank god at least that combo is gone so let's let's talk troops uh before i have to go to my therapy session what's uh what are some top troops units uh, before we move on i gotta talk about jane's R. oh please do that's a court that's also that is a beautiful model i've always liked that one it is stunning so Jane Zar's got a different type of Banshee mask. Obviously, it's got bigger ears or something. But basically, um, if you're in combat with her, if you're in engagement range, she gives fight last. So with the other Banshee mask, you actually have to make the charge. With her, you don't. Um, 
And basically, you also subtract one from the attack characteristics and model in that unit as well. So she's like a real defensive combat character, which I like. She doesn't really deal a huge amount of damage, only being damage two. Uh, she's got like a sweeping attack, but she's a really good defensive based combat character. Um, a Suriman is a monster, you know, flat damage three, D3 mortal wounds on a roll of a six, um, three plus invulnerable save. He's a weapon. You've got Karandras that can actually start nine inches away from your opponent going in every six to wound does two mortal wounds. Uh, he's obviously the, and he gets exploding sixes as well. Karandras built in. He's cool. So um, they're awesome. Magman Ra is okay, but I'm not sure. The model's quality, but I don't know if he's going to make my list, But to be honest. Yeah, he, he it's a great model, but if you're going to be really leaning into Dark Reapers, it seems like he'd be a good choice, but... Yeah, I'm more combat. Yeah. So for troops, you've got Guardians, you've got Guardian uh, Defenders or Storm Guardians, basically shooty ones or um, fighty ones. And um, yeah, basically you've got heavy weapon platforms that you can put in the guardian defenders, or you can put something called a serpent shield, which is a five plus invulnerable save and a mini transhuman, like can't be wounded on a one or a two on your combat ones. Uh, they start from units of 10 can be taken to 20. Um, and if you're within engagement, uh, sorry, if you're in, within range of an objective, you get reroll ones to hit naturally. Um, but for me, it's rangers. They're the standout rangers. They can start nine inches away from your opponent because they've got something called advanced positionings. Um, they're quite cheap. You can take them a unit of fives. The new models are beautiful. Um, so they're just a fantastic troop unit to do actions, get an early board presence and start scoring some points for you based on the mission. So a really good mission-based unit. Um, I, I could definitely see a two to three units of rangers, maybe one unit of storm guardians on your backfield with that serpent shield, you know, screening out your backfield and holding that objective. Okay. Scouts still just carrying the uh, sniper rifles or they, they have any yeah. weapon options? Just the snipers. It's a bit well lackluster but you're doing actions with this unit more than anything you've also got the void uh the the uh, the corsairs that really cool new unit that's coming out it's all right but um again i think probably keep it guardians a little bit i think cheaper um or rangers obviously for that advanced positionings and they and obviously the the corsairs they don't get uh like your craft world ability okay but they also don't oh, okay. break the detachment as well and they also um yeah, they, they don't actually, they're not used as a compulsory slot. So I don't think you're really leaning into the Corsairs. So on to elites. All right. Yeah, elites. Is this where your all of your uh, aspect warriors are? Yeah, now luckily warlocks. If you've got a farce, you can take a warlock for free. Okay. As in um, uh, battle force slots. Right. Um, not free as in points. But yeah, warlocks are quite nice just to add a little bit more psychic power. If you're, if you're only a starting strength of one, you gain the character keyword if you've got two or more and you can take them up to units of three if you're on a sky runner or up to six if you're on foot. Um, and basically, you know, a number of powers based on the starting strength, okay, of that unit. Um, but when we come into actual troops, this is where it gets really tough because all of the aspect warriors are, uh, are elites. Um, I think a block of Dire Avengers is going in my list. That's kind of what I'm working on at the moment. Um, I think a brick of fire dragons is definitely going in as well. So dire Avengers, they get three shots each now, 18 inches strength four, flat minus two. So when you roll a shuriken, you go up to minus four AP. Um, that's pretty good. That is good. And, um, yeah, that's what they get. Um, fire dragons, as we mentioned earlier, these guys 
12 inch range and they're always strength nine minus four d6 plus two damage regardless of the range so they're always getting that melter benefit the fire pike is up to that 18 inches they reroll ones against vehicles um against so against vehicles and monsters if a reroll of one all the aspect warriors get a five plus uh invulnerable save built in but their stat line remains similar to what you'd be you know expecting one wound toughness three three or four plus save okay and uh, with the fire dragons are the they they automatically get the d6 plus two damage so there's no other benefit for being in half range for them they just no but there's a really cool power later on i'm going to talk about for them now oh dear god i, I was afraid you're going to say that howling banshees oh these this unit plus one to wound okay great you can advance in charge great um you minus one to hit them as well so they got minus one to hit plus one to wound if you made a charge um advance in charge and the mirror swords are awesome you basically if you've got the sergeant she makes two attacks so she's rocking out with about 10 attacks this x arc if you upgrade her and then they're ap minus four the banshee blades three attacks base and they got that mask for can't overwatch and also fight last as well this unit is a powerhouse banshees are back in a big way what uh what strength are they hitting on in combat before that plus one to wound uh strength four so okay, so they're so they're hitting a strength four, so but against space marines, they're still gonna be wounding on threes and everything else yeah. is gonna be wounding on twos. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um standout unit though is striking scorpions. So they have um good amount of attacks. Their scorpion chainsword now gives you an extra attack as well. Um, but your plus two strength, so their strength five, minus one AP one damage, but every six to wound is a mortal wound in addition to normal damage and they get a built-in exploding sixes but those additional hits can't be used for the mandy blaster ability of those mortal wounds so you roll your hits any sixes you put additional hits to one side because you can roll and hit with those in wound but you can't do the mortal wounds all right is there a limit to that mortal wound or is that oh no what you roll is what you roll what you roll is what you roll so if you've got a unit um, of 10, they're going to be putting out a minimum of 40 attacks with exploding sixes. Um, so then those 40 attacks that go through, then obviously any six to wound is a mortal wound. And there's, a, a, there's an ability I'm going to talk about later just to take that to one step further. <sighs> I need a but, drink. All right. Wraith blades aren't bad. I think there could be play for a bit of Wraith Lord action at toughness eight. The Wraith blades are awesome. You know, toughness six, three wounds a model. Uh, Wraith Blades and all the Wraith Host units have baked in minus one damage as well. So that's pretty good. Oh yeah, that is nice. Because it really leans into that resilience for those, you know, which yeah. which is, suits the fluff of those uh, models. Yeah. Uh, what about Warp Spiders? What what are, are they doing anything? So Warp Spiders and we're on to Fast Attack now. Warp Spiders and Swooping Hawks are Fast Attack, um, so as are Shining Spears. I think Warp Spiders, they've had a real big buff. Um, they basically get a a d6 an assault d6 strength six minus two one damage blast weapon uh the warp jump generator you can move 2d6 um, when you make a battle focus unit which is really cool um so again that's really nice to get you know, really these units can be really jumping around the table um yeah all right are they doing any kind of are they doing anything like a, like the grenade interceptors where they can just throw themselves on the other side of the field no, but if you're declared as a charge, you can move away six inches. Oh, okay. So you, 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 no, I don't want to get charged. I'm just going to yeah. step back. 
The swooping hawks, on the other hand, every time they battle focus, they go up in the sky and come back on the table nine inches away. Okay. Yeah, so they're really good for that. I, th- I, I really love sweep- swooping hawks. I think I could definitely have two units of five in the list for that. Wind riders and all the rest of it, a lot of the scatter lasers, shuriken weapons have had a big upgrade. The shuriken cannon now is a heavy three, strength six, minus one, two damage. The scatter laser's gone up to six shots apiece, still zero AP, but just a huge amount of volume there. Um, so yeah, a lot of those weapons have had a bit of an upgrade. Shining spears, I actually think they're toned down a little bit. They don't get the uh, the four plus invulnerable save stock like they used to from ranged attacks. Um, but they are just minus one to hit in built now. So they're minus one to hit, but only toughness for two wounds with a three plus save. And they're very expensive. Um, they still get like a good, you know, for example, um, a good attack, whether it's like three attacks, so that's slightly better than it was before. Um, at, you know, I think strength six, uh, I think it's strength six minus four, two damage, something along those lines, if you make a charge. Um, so yeah, they've, they're just really expensive. The mo- new model range is beautiful. You've obviously got the shroud runners, which get a pre-game move. This is the rangers on jet bikes. They can pre-game move, which is cool. Um, but again, quite expensive for what they are really probably going to do for you on the table, but maybe one moving unit to screen out might be quite nice with this unit. And they're very, very fast. Okay. Then the, the shroud runners are new for this codex. They didn't exist prior to this, right? Yeah. New models. Yeah. New kit, everything. Okay. Uh, Viper bikes. Are they any, anything to write home about? They're okay. Uh, I mean, for me, no, they don't hit anything in combat, but yeah, I think okay. just a classic unit. Same with war walkers. There could be place for either of those two units. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so heavy support, heavy support, dark creepers, again, a little bit expensive for what they do. They've lost their ability to always hit on a three plus. They just ignore the benefits of dents now. Um, they're just, I think at the moment with so much hive guard in tower round with indirect fire, this unit's going to get taken off the table very quickly. You can no longer fire and fade back into a transport as well, which was one of the key stratagems and tricks you used to use. So you can't do that anymore. So they are stuck on the table, unfortunately. Um, and their Reaper launcher is still exactly the same as it was before. Strength eight, minus two, three damage or two shots at strength five, minus two, two damage. You can only take them in units of five. And I think their points now... Um, so you can't take the minimum units of three and just spam the Tempesta launchers like you could before. They have to be taken as a five, which I think is a bit of a nerf for them. And do they, are, I, remind me, because it's been a long time since I played against them, are they firing indirect or do they have a stratagem to do that? It's only the Tempesta launcher that can do that. All the other regular weapons. So the sergeant can shoot indirectly if he's got the Tempesta launcher, um, but all the others have to, need line of sight. Got it. Um, and they are right. heavy, they're heavy weapons, not assault. So they're going to be taking that minus one to hit if they move, unless you upgrade the Exarch and then there's, you know, buffs and abilities to help that. But again, it's more points on what is already an expensive unit. Right. Uh, Wraith Lords, are they a heavy support or were they an elite's choice? They're an elite's. Again, okay. I think probably for their points, they're okay. A um, little bit punchy, you know, can take some good weapons on them. Uh, got the bet, you know, they've got the core keyword, word, which is also nice. Minus one damage. Like you said, it's just got a dreadnought equivalent. Right. So it seems like there's going to be a lot of competition for elite slots. What about what is what's the what's competing for the heavy support slots? For me, it's the night spinner is a is a must. The night spinner now um, used to be zero AP, but now it's heavy 2d6. Well, that's the same as before, but it's strength seven minus two flat two damage. 
um, and you can shoot indirectly as well. So for me, the night spin is awesome. You can, it's some really good upgrades as well. You can take on all the vehicles, whether it's, um, you can ignore the hit roll modifier, uh, you count as double the amount of wounds, or you can add three to the movement. I mean, they're already moving 16 anyway. Um, or once per battle, you can basically battle focus with the unit. Okay. So some right. cool upgrades there. The Falcon. We've got to talk about the Falcon. Basically is a flying drop pod. So it can come in turn one and the unit immediately disembarks. Oh, so it deep strikes. It deep strikes, yeah. Oh, okay. So no, you don't even have to worry about starting it on the table and getting it railgunned first turn. It's it's going to come in turn one, deep strike, and and it's going to offload its troops and then it's going to... Shoot you. It's going to shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> and then it will shoot you some more. And it's got a pulse laser, heavy two, strength nine, minus three, D3 plus three, and a bright lance you could put on it, strength eight, minus four, D3 plus three. So it's going to come in, hit you pretty hard, and then the unit that drops out, six models is going to charge you. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was going to be my next question. Was what's the transport capacity on this thing? What am I looking at? I'm looking at six. Five, five, uh, five striking scorpions in an X-Arc or, or a Phoenix Lord coming out of there at me. Well, you can take up to six Phoenix Lords, so I think you just put all six in there, yeah. That'd be that, great. That's the party bus right there. That. Yeah. Please please never say that out loud again. <laughs> all, all needing a nine on the charge, but it's worth it. Um, yeah. Okay, we got to talk about the fire prism. Okay, so the fire prism, you've got two profiles on the cannon. The range, we don't need to talk about because it's just anywhere you want. Heavy two, strength 14, minus five, three D3 damage. But there's a stratagem called linked fire. Now, if you link fire with another um, fire prism, they both have to shoot the same one, essentially. So the first one fires and you add two shots for each linked prism you link with. So if you're linking with two others, that's six shots at strength 14, minus five, three D3 damage, okay? All right, so Knights players are not happy. Yeah, so you ignore invulnerable saves. Okay. And that's it. All right, so, so it's basically an Eldar railgun. Yeah, uh, that well, obviously yeah. all of them have to shoot that one target. Right. That decides Do they have it. to be within a certain range of each other? 12 and visible. Okay, so they all have to have line of sight on the same target and they all have to be within 12 inches of no. each other. One needs line of sight, the other two's can link, providing they're within 12 inches. Oh, so you only have to put one out uh, it, risking it getting shot and the other two can be behind obscuring and yeah. just chain shot some poor... Further confirming that monoliths will never show up on a competitive table. Maybe, who knows? Um, the poor monolith. And then the wave serpent is a classic. I mean, it's got the serpent shield, gives it a five plus invulnerable save stock, and it can never be wounded on, um, you know, a one, two, or a three. So again, it's got a transhuman baked in with that wave serpent shield, 13 wounds. You can give put a couple of bright lances on this thing or just loads of shuriken catapults. Um, it's very fast. You know, you can take up the 12 models. For me, I've got two on my list. Well, yeah, I, that's reasonable because you're, I mean, that's a, that's a rhino and then some, that's a, that's an impulser and then some. Yeah, exactly. And I actually think the planes aren't too bad. Both the Hemlock and the Crimson Hunter uh, have had a slight upgrade in terms of the damage ability. Uh, the, the Hemlock's gained, you know, 2d6 shots now. I think it, before it was 2d3, now it's 2d6. Uh, obviously it's got that minus one damage baked into it as well. The Hemlock. Um, the Wraith Knight is awesome. Five plus stock invulnerable save. When you give it the shield, it comes up with a four plus invulnerable save. Um, the weapons have had a bit of a boost as well. Minus one damage, 22 wounds. That's nice. 
and then the Webway Gate. For me, I've been trying to get my hands on one of these things, but we're going to talk about the Webway Gate next week when we t- when we cover Harlequins and Yanari because they can also take it too, and it's just too yeah. cool not to talk about. And Warhammer Community did do a preview article on the on the Webway Gate the other day. It's it it seems like, and it helps also that that model has a smaller footprint than some of the other yeah. uh, uh, fortifications. So you, but and it, the ability to come out and oh, you're standing too close. My models will just teleport right out of the the Webway portal and charge you and yeah, thump you for it. That's yeah. That I think that might be the fortification that finally starts making a consistent appearance on on the table, which will be nice. It's a beautiful model as well. So my three top power combos before we wrap this up. Yep. It is Ian, the Exarch of the Striking Scorpions. Okay. So you can upgrade him so that on a five plus, he does mortal wounds rather than sixes. And you're like, well, that's not that great. It's only about one model, but he's four attacks base plus one because you've just made him an Exarch. And plus two, because you've given them the biting blade weapon, the big chainsaw. So he's rocking seven attacks. If he's box tan, you can spend one CP for exploding sixes. And he gets exploding sixes anyway. So spend one CP for double exploding sixes, seven base attacks. Is that a bitten blade or biting blade? Is that a relic or is that just a upgrade? Just an upgrade, like five point upgrade. Yeah. Oy. So... Put, you can put the, the box tan warlord trait on him, so you reroll your misses. And then if you've got Doom, you can reroll the wound rolls. This guy can easily, I've, I've rolled it out about three times, you pick up a unit of custodian warriors, providing they don't turn off rerolls. But anyway, yeah, this guy's a monster. Yeah, he's going to chew through. Blade guard, what? Blade guard will be a good boy. Yeah, yeah see ya, blade guard. Um, yeah, straight onto their invuns. They're dead. Yeah, he'll pick up, you know, maybe three to four of those guys. He's awesome. So then we've got the Fire Dragons. Their upgrade, listen to this. If you get within nine with these Fire Dragons, every hit roll auto wounds. This is just the entire unit. Yeah. So if I hit, with, if I hit, which I'm going to do because I'm going to have Guide on, and I put maybe one CP exploding sixes, each hit from these 10 Fire Dragons are going to wound you automatically but what i'm going to do first is use my fire pike sergeant because he gets d6 plus four damage okay and i'm going to use one of my strands of fate dice of a six to be a six so that's going to instantly explode into two fire pike attacks and they auto wound and their bait their guns are uh, assault one or assault two assault one okay but you're still looking at nine of those attacks plus the two Attacks yeah. from the fire pike sergeant with guide to for rerolls, and you're going to be auto wounded. Oh my goodness! And if I didn't quite kill you, then I'm going to go into combat with you, spend one CP against your vehicle, and do two d three mortal wounds as well from a bomb exploding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's nice, right? Very nice. Okay. All right. We're still. It gets better. The Dire Avenger brick. Okay, they get blade storm. All right. Um, which basically means I can have, because it's a shuriken weapon, exploding sixes for one CP on the unit until the end of the phase. Obviously, because they're an aspect warrior for another CP, they can get double exploding sixes. Okay? Tracking. I can reroll hits. I can reroll wounds. And obviously for, you know, guide in doom. But for two CPs, if I'm under starting strength, so let's say you decided to kill my transport I was in and one of my models died, 
but then I hid the unit behind terrain like I used to do with the uh, my Order of the Martyred Lady Sisters. There's nine models in this unit, double exploding sixes with re-rolls, and then for two CPs I can shoot again. Oi. I rolled out earlier, they pick up three Talos. At least. For, yeah. for a 120 point unit, I think it is. It's pretty strong. And and you're and you're only spending three CP, one for the extra exploding sixes and two for the double shot. Yeah. So 120 points and three CP, Sorry, four three CPs. Talos, four, oh, four, four CP, yeah. four CPs, four CP, 120 points and four CP. And which you're going to be trying to get back with your, um, CP regen, uh, warlord trait. Yeah. Very nice. Very Boom. nice. Yeah. All right. And I think you got one more. Talk to me about your farseer. Okay. So yeah, obviously we, we sort of covered him earlier, but the, the executioner, the smite and the moving over a unit just for that eight mortal wound output on average onto a unit. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. That was the one we talked about. He's strong enough to go up to a unit of interceptors or a unit of, you know, five infiltrators and pretty much pick up the entire unit himself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, and the farseers, they're still going to be decent in combat too. I'm assuming they're not just, you know, librarians who think about combat, but don't actually participate. No, I wouldn't put a farser in combat. Oh, no? No, okay. not not unless I'm really on dire straits. Got it. Then they're, they're All only right. probably two to three attacks. Um, but yeah, so that sums up. Yeah, they're literally two attacks. They're not going in combat. So that sums it. That That's that's it. That's my review so far. We'll cover uh, secondaries on the masterclass and also more on the academy. Um, or if you're a YouTube member, uh, we'll be covering all of that. And also we'll be doing lots of stream games with the Azurani. Has obviously... I want to try and win that best in faction. I'm coming for it. I can't wait to see it. I'm I'm so excited to see it. And and since I know we're going to be at LVO together next year, I'm so excited to see you rock up to the table with the the Eldar that you've already refined and play tested. And that's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. So, Dave, was that insightful for you? Uh, yeah, no, it is. It. Uh, I mean, as much jokes aside, I think that that Eldar are going to be a, a serious contender. They've got a lot of Again, GW has hit it out of the park with a codex that maintains the spirit of the army and the fluff and the, the the background of it, and but doesn't it doesn't sound like there's anything ultimately broken. It sounds like they're, you know, everything things that were a little OP in the last codex have been dialed down a little bit. Everything else has been leaned into the flavor of the army, and there there's a lot of diversity, a lot of options. So. Yeah, it, it's something I'll cover on the masterclasses. My list in a lot more detail. We'll do a full list review, but um, there's a lot of weaknesses in the list. You know, it's, or in, should I say, in the book, which is great. You want an army that feels like a glass cannon, and that's exactly what this is. In the, if you're in the wrong place, if you're caught out of position, you're going to die very, very quickly. But this is going to be a high skill level army to master, um, which is really why I'm committing to taking this right to you know best in faction next year because for me i like the depth i like all the different aspects here no pun intended but there's so much depth in this book i can't wait to get stuck in so uh, dave yeah. thank you so much for your time today hey uh thanks for letting me host the the, the show again and uh do before we forget um any what are your upcoming events and plans uh, any tournaments coming up yeah so i think as this releases we'll be at the international team event uh, so Vanguard Tactics have got a team, myself, Jack, uh, Matchin, um, Ben Jones, um, and then also we've obviously got Michael Costello. So uh, yeah, we've got a strong team in the team event and hopefully that goes well. Now, because we've gone on for so long, we probably won't do the the guest spot with James today. We'll 
we'll make sure he's on for next week just because I'm conscious of people's time. But I just want to say a massive thank you to everybody that's reached out to us and gave us some great feedback on the first podcast me and Dave did um, and all the five-star reviews that came in. It really, really helps us. So keep tagging me on Instagram when you've been listening. If you have a question for the show, you know, you can ask us on Instagram at the Vanguard Tactics. Get your questions in and look forward to next week's show where we're going to be covering the Harlequins and also that Yanari in a lot more detail. So Dave, thanks so much for your time. All right, thanks, Steve, so much. Uh, I'm so excited for next week, too, and uh, I may actually be buying this Codex now just so I know uh, what my Tau is going to be dealing with. But uh, it's going to be great, and I can't, and I will, uh, oh, I'm so excited to sit down and go over the uh, uh, the Tau Masterclass, and uh, I'm probably going to sign up for the Eldar uh, Masterclass, too, because it's, it's good information. If you're not playing them, you're going to want to know what you're going to be facing. So, Absolutely. Right. See you next week.